Welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. And Sam, good morning to you. Good morning to you, Leon. Lovely to see you and a beautiful day in Melbourne, as, as always. Almost an epiphany, Leon. Look at this bright blue skies. You better explain an epiphany. Through. What's that mean? Oh, I start with the Magi, Leon. You and I are believers. <laughs> you know, nothing like a bit of uh, piety to sort of give us that extra step of alacrity. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> just a minute, I'm flashing through the dictionary here, I can't quite get to that. Um, we've got a very special guest today, and he's a, a guy with a, a, a very noble French name. Uh, Rebo Brissac, from the Loire Valley. How's that? Oh, that's very good. Better known as John Rebo, the famous rugby yeah. league man. And not only a rugby league man, but listen to this for a career. Nine games for Australia for nine tries. Started the Brisbane Broncos. Started the Melbourne Storm. Was a fantastic player himself, both in Queensland and uh, New South Wales. Played in the original uh, uh, State of Origin games. So there he is. And more importantly, erstwhile member of the Vang Sang Club. Johnny Rebo. <laughs> Thank you, Leon. That's a nice in, uh, intro. Thank you very much. I might go after that. It doesn't improve. From well, that. it goes without saying that being a member of the Vang Sang is on the top of the tree there, but it is a bit of form there. Yeah, well, they were great old days, and I was fortunate enough to play a bit of football, and uh, then from football, I was, uh, the furthest thing from my mind at the time when I finished, I was going to become uh, involved in administration, but there was an opportunity. opportunity became available through the Queensland Rugby League, and then uh, got to know some guys who were getting involved with the Brisbane Broncos. So they asked me to come and see, asked me if I'd run that. So it was Porky quite Morgan a journey. And others. Porky Morgan, one of the great characters of Queensland. And uh, he, he was, yes, yeah, stockbroker. He was the first, he underrode Crocodile Dundee. I missed out on the first one, had to go at the second one, lost all my money. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I think they're still collecting from the first. Uh, That's a cheap shot. That's just a throwaway uh, line. We'll run a raffle for you. Oh, him. yeah. Thanks, uh, guys. <laughs> Of course, the interesting thing, Leon, that's the most impressive uh, CV you could ever, you know, kangaroos, great player himself, he's an entrepreneur of the highest quality, but ironically enough, he's almost perceived in a lot of areas as a pariah. Most most hated man in rugby league. Most hated man in rugby league circles. He created a rift and a division for some inexplicable reason, he wanted to create this monster super league which is almost pitted brother it's almost like the civil war in america even worse you know the uh the fallout was horrific worse than the civil war in america well worse than that civil war <laughs> could you believe what it was pitted brother against brother it was an amazing in contemporary times it's almost beyond comprehension but he created this rift for benefit, for reasons I've got no idea, but he's about to tell me why. Why the Super League, John? How did you get involved prob- in that? So, Packer and uh, Murdoch, you played both sides beautifully. Yeah, very interesting times actually. I was, uh, I reckon, I was sort of the meat between the sandwiches. It was all about TV back then, um, and um, we were at, we were at a position where there was clubs that were suffering from financial hardship. Pay TV be, uh, came into the market and. Uh, what happened back in the old days that uh, Kerry Packer, through his kindness, offered the Rugby League a deal for 10 years at $1 million a year because he said he wasn't quite sure whether pay TV get pay TV get any traction. When we got involved, we had the breakaway and all the clubs got together and we had our eight and they had their eight. 
the uh, the first year we did the TV rights, we pulled a bit over fifty million dollars. So they were they had the TV rights sold to Kerry Packer for ten years for ten million dollars. The first year we came in, we got I think it was about fifty seven million was the the TV rights. So that was just. It, the uncertainty what was going on and just understanding the market and then Kerry came involved and uh, quickly the, the budget we originally had was 68 million to run the, run the competition and four months later I'd spent a little bit over 400 million uh, just bringing all the players together, getting all the clubs organised and we actually established a world league where it wasn't here just in Australia, it was in the Northern Hemisphere um, and all the Pacific nations. So there's a lot of stories amongst there, some funny times were had, but the TV money that came into our game, it was a real changing point. And, you know, the way it all happened, is, as Sam said, it was a pretty volatile time. That uh, I, had, I lived in Brisbane at the time, and I had a period there for three months. I had, secu I had security people in my house, living inside the house, and I had cars outside. So it was pretty volatile. Wasn't but Johnny, quite, quite me, a pardon my intrusion for interrupting you, but the reason for all that volatility was the fact that you were raping clubs of their star commodities, their players. You were paying them some excessive sums of money. Players to this day are still living off Super, off super League money. Yeah, and, and, and Sam, that's very true. And that what happened, the money that was involved, because we, we were then working under a, a small salary cap, but all of a sudden there's all this extra money involved, yeah. so all of a sudden the players got paid what they were worth. Um, and we went from a, and an example of some of the money, we had our top tier players back then. They would, we'd sign some of them up for the, the main money for like an Alan Langer, if I, um, Alfie won't mind me mentioning him. He was probably on 125 to 150,000 for the year. When he came to Super League, he got 600,000. And we, I think with Alfie, he got a, uh, what we called a loyalty check. He walked out the first meeting with 200 in his pocket, 200,000. So his first year was 800,000. But all those things, Sam, the facts were they balanced. The books balanced. Because Rupert's yeah. not there to give money away. He's there to make money. And the other opposition, they, they'd done a 10-year deal. So that was locked in a vault. We Clubs couldn't get a hold of that. So I think the wash-up of the whole thing, the good things that happened, well, we all got back together. Look, it wasn't a pleasant time when, when we did what we did, but I wouldn't be sitting here today and Melbourne wouldn't be sitting here so what winning was the a olive branch? What was the olive branch that brought you together? What was the catalyst? In, in my view, it happened, and I remember talking to uh, some of the people from Nine at the time. I said, look, we won't get this resolved until Kerry Packer has a meeting with Rupert Murdoch. I believe that happened in London. And they got together and said, hang on, hang on, we've all spending way too much money now. We've got to come back together. So then they did a deal on, on Fox, on, on Foxtel, Fox Sport, and they, uh, they cut a deal, which in turn brought everyone back together. Our instructions there were to get all the clubs together and get this thing resolved. So there, there was another year or two of uncertainty. But I think where our game's position now, and where, where the landscape of sport is today, which is the bigger picture, we're seeing now that the, in the AFL are in a better position, the rugby union earned huge money, the, uh, the A-League uh, got money they never dreamt of before, it was all through pay-for-view. Um, so I think that landscape's great. And we're going through another era now where you're seeing all the women in sport and uh, the opportunities there for women. So there's... That, the landscape keeps keeps changing all the time. There's some interesting times ahead too. I think we've come through that period, but now you've seen with the, what's happened with the COVA 
and now the AFL and the Rugby League, they're renegotiating their contracts. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where it all settles because there's a lot more players in the market. John, uh, going back to John Rebo himself, um, as I recall, when you finished your playing career, and we'll go back to that hopefully too soon, but... Yeah, uh, you you took on a role as a education officer or a development <laughs> officer at one of the clubs. Yeah. Uh, so, where where was the academic sort of skill? Where where did that come from for you to a have a central role in studying the Broncos in the first place? Yeah. Uh, without any experience in that area, and that went on to being duplicated when you started the uh, with the Storm, uh, and then to get involved with these two. Huge names, Packer and Murdoch, and putting the whole of a sport worldwide <laughs> through that. I mean, where did, where did that all come from? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's a really interesting time. I think that one things that was, one of the things that was I was fortunate in was uh, when I played, you had to work. So from a working point of view, you had to marry yeah. them both up. So. Uh, I ended up being a state manager for TNT, it was a transport company. Yes. So that was all about systems and, and getting involved with people. And then when I finished playing, I had a reasonably good year towards the end. Then the, the landscape changed a lot. And I just, I suppose I had some business acumen then. So it was something I was always interested, life after football. Then I was asked to go back to uh, the, the Queensland Rugby League and I was a second in charge of the Queensland Rugby League under uh, Ross Livermore. So we had state leagues and that. So I had an understanding of of administration then. And as a player, it always fascinated. And I had some really good, I suppose, guys that were, were uh, mentors to me. Uh, Ken Arthurson, who was a guy we ended yep. up having a few battles with. But Ken Arthurson is like a father to me, and I'll never forget that. He gave me a great opportunity uh, to go and play at Manly and all that. And you don't forget those things. So I suppose... Along the journey, I, I, I had a good set of ears, and I used to listen and learn, and uh, and uh, when the opportunity became available, and I, uh, Paul Morgan's a classic example, because they were, they were bigger than life for me. Those To meet with those guys, there's four of them, they're all very, very successful. So I thought, well, not many opportunities are gonna, come, are gonna come like this, to be able to get involved with those guys. And the first time I met Porky, when I did my contract, it's like three o'clock in an afternoon. Porky was renowned for having a long lunch. Yes. So he's come in, he's a little bit cut the first time I met him. And this conversation went a bit like this. He said, oh, I haven't got much time here, but you look like a bit of a smart ass. But uh, we'll give you an opportunity. You played a bit of football. We see if you can run the club. If we don't have any success, we'll piss you off. I've gone, well, that's not a bad game plan, I suppose. And the game plan then, we and it was like, Thinking out loud, he said, you've got three years to make this football club uh, successful. We're going to make the semi-finals within three years. Within five years, we want to be in the grand final. If we don't achieve them, you'll, you, you won't be here. So, and I thought in balance, that wasn't a bad game. I thought, well, that's you good. you're able to get a good shot at yeah. it. And they wanted to win. One of the good things about it, we're involved with bringing guys that were putting their own hard cold money and it was the first time in rugby league you had privately owned uh, football team and they had a challenge too because Ken Arthurson at the time they said now you've got the football team I hope you don't gonna make I hope you don't think you're gonna make money well they all nearly fell on the floor they thought shit we th we thought we might try and make some money so uh, it ended up being a, that ended up being a really good investment for them and a really good uh, experience so but I was I was fortunate because they all played football. They all ran very successful businesses. And you just, I think we were pretty good at getting that marriage right. So uh, 
I was right at the right place at the right time, and I suppose through football helped me get there. But having a bit of a, a business background and the learning experience they gave me was uh, that just went on to bigger and better things. Perhaps we should. Uh, interesting. And by the way, Porky Morgan, uh, the guy that's been mentioned a few times, he died quite young. Uh, mm. Maybe as a result of so many of those very long, long lunches, lunches yeah. who's to know. But. Um, uh, yes, that group uh, were instrumental in uh, with yourself getting going with the Brisbane uh, Broncos, and what a success story that was! And uh, how and that must have absolutely riled the New South Wales people. Yeah, very much so. That uh, and uh, and that's where I think that even the friction came more evident yeah. because the the success they had. We went fifth year. We ended up winning the premiership. Then we went back to back always able to dominate and also we created something with a uh, what I call pathways. The players wanted to play there because if you played in Brisbane back in those days, probably uh, 60% of your squad would play state of origin. So from a, a point of view of being successful, you play state of origin then you're a 50-50 chance of playing for Australia. So yeah. if you want to give yourself a good shot of, of building a good scrapbook, the Broncos was a great opportunity. And we had some great players around those days. There's a lot of controversy about the Wally Lewis's and, and guys like that. Gene Miles. Yeah, Gene, Gene Miles, yeah. yeah. And all great guys. But um, um, that gave us a, a great platform to, to build on. And the Alan Langers and all those guys came on after that. And uh, they, they, they were incredibly exciting times. And uh, I suppose from that and doing Super League and, and jumping forward, probably a question you'll ask me, later is or during this the interview is that how did I end up in Melbourne was when we did Super League I knew that Super League was not going to be a long-term thing for me not to do something as controversial as that it needed to settle down get a new administration there get going and there's an old cliche that I learned from some good old guys that in business that a good time to negotiate your out is when you negotiate your in so, and I, I think at the time Rupert probably didn't half realise what I was asking for when he said, would you run this for us? I said, look, I'd love to run this, but my tenure here is not going to be long term. What I'd love to do, because I've left the Broncos now, I can't, I don't want to go back. You leave somewhere you want to build and go somewhere else. I would love the opportunity to get involved in Melbourne. Um, would you be involved if we could do if, uh, when Super League finishes? I think as a sports capital of Australia, Melbourne, I've always been fascinated with it. I'd love to put a team of people together and uh, I think they, they could run a very successful uh, rugby league team. So uh, we shook hands on that and that's basically was it. And then when it all finished, I said, look, we had an agreement. They said, yeah, we've got an agreement. And uh, during that period, they were fantastic to me. And I had eight years there and uh, uh, it was a really great experience for me. And I look now with the new team that's come on with with uh, Jerry Ryan and, and Matty Tripp, and uh, Matty in his first year as, a, as president now, or chairman, uh, won a premiership. So I'm really happy with those guys because they're, they're just A-grade people. They're just great friends of mine, and I just love the experience of still being involved in the club. So that's sort of quick, quick overview of how it, how it all unfolded. So Mur Murdoch, uh, just about at your, your word, took on the Melbourne thing yep. with, with no sort of 58-page dossier or...? No. It was, a hand, it was a handshake, and the handshake was this, that uh, what we'll do, you had the franchise that uh, when we sat, we sat down, you can have the, with the club. I had the management rights to the club. He owned 70%, and I owned 30%. He picked up all the, uh, all the expenses. 
So all the unders, he, he paid all the bills. So, uh, and there, the big picture there is, and people say, that's, that's crazy, no one's going to do that. But just understanding, and Rupert's not silly, he's, he would have done his homework to say, how do we get penetration into a, a city with four, four and a half million with a new code? This could be a cheap way to do it. And in balance, what he paid, you know, some years we'd lose two, three million, sometimes four million dollars. Um, it was as cheap as chips for what it delivered from picture. a TV, right? And, uh, and it's a bit like you say, the, 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 uh, the AFL, do you regret going to Brisbane, Sydney, Adelaide and Perth? They wouldn't be where they are today. They wouldn't be such a dominant factor without, you can't just look at Victoria all the time and say, this is all the VFL. It's the AFL now, it's the people's game in Australia. Um, and they've done that extremely well. So this was the, the toe in the water, I suppose, of going into, into somewhere that they don't play rugby league and have some success. Interesting, you said the genesis of uh, all these new clubs, how they all evolved and just the role of the, the Murdochs and the big boys. Uh, in your own right, you, I remember very vividly, I was in Sydney myself in the 80s, Back, I ran the K, uh, the KB Cup out of Leichhardt Oval through yeah. Toothen Company. Yeah. So I remember the great manly sides of, you know, Les Boyd and Crusher, Cle- uh, Crusher Cleal and uh, Arco, I remember very, very well. Yourself, you had a very good club arrangement too. Manly were a very powerful club. Yeah. They are always the Silver Tails. Manly were the Silver Tails, the Western Suburbs, Tommy Radonigas and the boys. They were the... Uh, the uh, Blue Collar. Yeah. Blue collar. I played with both them, uh, Sam. Yeah. I knew where it was a better place to play. <laughs> I had more fun with the uh, with the, the fibros. The fibros. The fibros. The fibros yeah. fibro a lot more fun. <laughs> the you could drink better wine. So it's <laughs> well, the interesting thing about rugby league, Leon, that AFL lack is that rivalry of state of origin. Now that is so unique. I always look at rugby league. I must confess. It's so fortunate that it can showcase its product on the greatest global stage versus the state of origin. And the one thing that rugby, uh, rugby union, by comparison, it's lucky it's got the World Cup every four years. Unfortunately, it lacks a bit of body underneath those four years. But the state of origin concept, how did all that evolve? I remember 80, I went to Lang Park with Ray Warren and saw the very first one with Artie Beeson and Craig Young when they packed out in the front row. Well. Honestly, I thought World War Two was still on. <laughs> it was. Right. Oh, it was frightening. Yeah. How did that evolve? Was well, that I, your deal? Your do you, doing? Do you, do you know about the AFL influence on the start of State of Origin? I vaguely with Ron, Senator Ron McAuliffe, and there was a bloke named uh, Leon Publican from Perth. You'd know him. Oh, he came up, Leon, Leon something. No, uh, 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 I thought, was, who was the, one, the administrator at the AFL at the time? They he had talked to, uh, and they said, look, this won't work. And even New South Wales... Alan Aylett. Alan Aylett. Aylett was the man. Yeah, uh, he, he had a great vision. He got Sydney Swans to... Yeah. yeah, that's right. And he spoke, Sydney, Sydney were uh, not that keen on Because in the early days, people... The funny transition of going from state uh, to interstate competition to state of origin. In the early days, I I played for New South Wales, and people say that that didn't happen. It did. What used to happen is a three-game series. The first two games was interstate, so I'd I'd line up with Tom Radonikus, and we'd be in there saying, "Let's get out and bash these blokes and rip into them." And and I remember the first time we played was. 
uh, I had a conversation. We, we, we used to, those days, you play Sunday, then you play Wednesday. So you get together and have a drink on the Monday. And I said to the New South Wales guys, I said, look, I know these guys because I come from this, this state. Don't underestimate Wally Lewis and Gene Miles. They've got a bunch of kids. But I tell you, they play the house down. And you're going to get uh, big Arthur Beats and he'll come out and he'll be bulletproof. You better be very careful because uh, this won't be a walk in the park. Because the old days, you go up there and just it's a drinkathon. It was just going to drink and you go back and play club football and that was a bit of fun. You get a jersey, yeah, that yeah. was good. So that's where, it, and I, I think there was a, a culture within Queensland and maybe was lacking in New South Wales where New South Wales thought it was their right to win. Yes. We never had that right because they had most of Arthur Beach and used to play for New South Wales. Rod yeah. Morris, myself, and they went to a, a very much a smaller extent. But you didn't get to put your maroon jersey on because that's where you come from. So if you had a choice, you always want to play for But the same as the AFL in those days, John, rugby league suffered the same. And that was the general consensus was unless you played in a New South Wales club, you didn't really have a... You weren't regarded as a fully-fledged player. Yeah. Same as at the AFL, if you didn't play in Victoria, you know, whilst you regard as a very good player, but you still weren't credentialed. Yeah. And yeah, 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 Sam, that's right. And even the scrapbooks would read, you know, how many times did you play for your club? That was relevant. But how many times did you play for your state? New South Wales had more relevance than Queensland then because they dominated. So mm-hmm. a better player was playing there. Then that went on to say how many times you played for Australia. So that was your scrapbook that yeah. gave you credence. Um, so Queensland, it's felt all of a sudden, he's payback time. We've been watching these games go on. They pinch all our players with all the That's poker right. machines in New South Wales. Now we've got an opportunity to make a name for ourselves. And we saw it again this year. They, New South Wales came out and after the first game said, this is the worst New South Wales side they've picked since the time with Fatty Vorton. They had all the F troop going around That's and right. they, they won the series. Well, here we go again. And uh, the silly thing, they keep shooting themselves in the foot. This is the worst side, but we won, so where's that put them? They mustn't be too good either. So um, that I thought it was, that was a rolling the clock back. And I don't know if you watched the series this year, but it was a yeah, fantastic, it was a fantastic yeah, series. Yeah, even people that don't follow sport all watch State of Origin. Yeah, that's all right. Over. State of Origin is a must-watch on the calendar. Yeah, I think you're right. When the great rivalries are when the great... Uh, yeah, just a must-watch. Yeah. The point the point I was trying to make earlier, uh, the the offer of State of Origin was put to the AFL, VFL first, and they rejected it because it couldn't fit into the program or whatever reason, because there was a lot of controversy, if you remember, Sam, about injuries and... Well, the greater uh, emphasis on winning the premiership, we have a greater emphasis on winning a flag here, yeah. as opposed to rugby league, yeah. who place a greater emphasis on showcasing their product through state of origin. Yeah. Now you can imagine if you're, you know, a sponsor putting in a million dollars, you know, there's an enormous amount of pressure on the club to ensure that they fulfil their obligation. So to lose players in mid like June and July when we play state of origin, can you imagine if the AFL did that and you lost a carrier, you lost your key players, which yeah. would reflect very badly on your uh, on your premiership. Yeah. It's interesting, Sam, that the way that's the, the way that's finished uh, uh, with the perception there. And th- one thing I've always really liked being part of when, when we started uh, Melbourne up was streets and suburbs, cradle to the grave. That's where you're born. That's where you want to play for. 
Well, it's no different for state. State for us in Queensland, the play for your state yeah. just meant so much because you always went home, you're with your mates and you you tribalism. It was tribalism and it, was, it reached a really high, uh, high impact. Um, and... I would have thought it's a natural for the uh, the AFL, but for some no, but reason... Our suburban, the, our suburban tribalism, as Leon would attest to, the Fitzroys and the Collingwoods and the North Melbournes, they've got a very, very special form of siege mentality yeah. and tribalism. I know what you're saying on a broader state. Yeah. So you never had it at a club level. I know the brothers and all those are very good clubs, but there wasn't that manic obsession, yeah. that sense of tribalism that we had in the AFL here, I, or the VFL as it was known. Yeah. I think it changed. Uh, it Sam, changed in, yeah. in, in the early days, if I was born, I was in the western suburbs of Brisbane, so I had to play with West. No different to, yeah. if you're a Carlton or Collingwood, I yeah. think that's the same. in the zones. Yeah. yeah, in the zones. And we had those zones, but they broke that up. So that's maybe where we lost that over time. But it used to be when I was a kid that was uh, that was where you where you lived is where you played. Going back to your own playing days, and uh, <clears throat> notwithstanding the fact that you know the state of origin was the bee's knees and all that sort of stuff, your time with the Australian team when you were part of the Invincibles must have been a highlight in your playing career. Oh, amazing! That was, uh, and again we touched on before they go away with uh, twenty eight other or well, twenty seven other players, twenty eight squad. Um, and spend three months together, like today, they just wouldn't. You wouldn't even dream of it. The wives weren't allowed. It was just as mateship and bondship, and some of the fun times you had. That you know, they're funny. They're, they're great times to bring up during you know reunions and stuff like that. But uh, that was it. Three months away. You go away for three months. It was uh, 12, uh, 12 weeks. Um, but it was um, it was a it was something I'd never swallow. And you talk about those those periods too. You go away for three months, uh, and over after two months, you were looking forward to seeing your kids. I had a young young family at the time. Couldn't wait to get home and uh, uh, see the wife and see your son and all that sort of stuff, which is really special. But you've been home for about a week. You think, oh, geez, I'm starting to miss, <laughs> starting to miss that. Where's Willie? Where's Willie? Fun times. You're on Sport and Life with Sam Kagovich and Leon Wigard, and our special guest is John Rebo. We're talking about the Invincibles. And tell us, uh, by the way, uh, you like a red occasionally, don't you? Yeah, I do like a red, but Sam tends to like my reds too, so he's become an expensive well, friend. Well, Sam's a convert uh, and has been for some years now to the Mitchelton print. And uh, and look at those bottles over there. We are at the Prince Hotel uh, doing this recording now. Over there, there are bottles, some of the great wines, Mount Mary, etc., 707. And look at that one about four or five from the left. That is a print. One of the great wines, too, of Michelin Bar- Winery. Barolo's there, but Prince, right up there with all the best. Yeah, what a wonderful drop. I've just, <laughs> you've caught me on the hop. I'm just, <laughs> I've just ingested a... Normally, uh, you'd be caught on the hops. Well, I'm slightly, <laughs> slightly shickered. <laughs> <laughs> but that Prince series, uh, Leon, it's a great drop. I've, uh, I've drunk it with friends, and sometimes we'll, we'll have one of those days where you all bring a bottle of wine, and... Uh, the print series is uh, always appreciated. So uh, if you haven't tried it, have a go at it. What, uh, we're talking about the Invincibles. What year was that? 
82. Uh, the 82 year. And Frank Stanton, tell us about him because he's uh, not well known down here. One of the great blokes. No, he was. He was, and he's a really hard uh, task uh, master. He was, we, we trained incredibly hard back in those days. At, uh, and I think that held us in really good stead because we were, our fitness level was a lot higher than, than the, the English. And they, they, were, they used to, they were really good, good at ball playing. Um, but the physical side of it, over time, and you're playing for it, you could just feel they just they'd they'd lose momentum after a while because we just played a. I, I think we played at a different level, and we had some really good players coming through, and some of the uh, you know the Wally Lewises and uh, Brett Kennys and Peter Sterlings and Craig Young. You mentioned Mel before Meninga. it was just Mel Meninga. Yep. Mel, well, Mel was a great player, and Kerry Bosted, Eric Growth, Kerry Bosted, yeah, Mel Main, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he, he was a good halfback, wasn't he? Yeah, no, a winger, 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 sorry, yeah. yeah. Well, you're a winger, a bit yeah. tall winger. Yeah. But you talk about fitness, an interesting thing. Going way, way back, about that time, 82, uh, I was a water polo player in those days, and play, and we were in Sydney, and for some reason, I, I was never a, a weightlifting bloke or into the uh, uh, steam bath or all that, but we were in Balmain, uh, into some facility and we, we we had a swim in a cold pool of some sort and into the steam room and in came Arthur Beeson. I thought, shit, a brick, how's this bloke getting around the track? <laughs> he was a monster. Yeah, he but was. not not fit looking. No. Just strong, no. obviously. Great athlete. He was one of those, he just had natural ability and and leg speed, and that's something that's very hard Brad to Rowan, coach. Yeah, yeah he, he was something special. But he, he was unique because he could unload, he could unload yeah. the pill. Yeah, for a front row, which is unique because most of them are just battering rams. But they, you wouldn't a league team down here would look at a Melbourne, uh, a Arthur Beeson, and say, "Come back when you're fit." Yeah, oh no doubt. Uh, so it's a different game, isn't and it? He had, he had a nickname back then, pie eating. Uh, oh, he, he loved a pie. You know, he'd have a pie before he went out. Yeah. And uh, but uh, yeah, he was. He actually was coached. Uh, John McDonald's the first coach, but then he took over as a coach of State of Origin. He was just a fantastic to be a guy to be involved with. It's a real loss to us, and a and a great inspiration to the Indigenous uh, yes, uh, yes. of Australia, the first captain of Australian rugby league team, and uh, one of those guys you just love down having, uh, he loved sitting down having a drink. Yes, with he loved and, other sports too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's very appreciative. He loved the AFL. He loved yeah. all that sort of stuff, and his knowledge yeah. was just fantastic. Uh, talking about blokes, we should spend some time on some of the superstars that the Melbourne Storm are. Pre- uh, firstly, the the captain, who and nobody really knows what's going to happen there. It looks like he's going to go to Queensland. Uh, Billy Slater. And there's been so many over the. Cooper lap. Cronk, all those. All Cooper those Cronk. guys. Greg Inglis. Greg Inglis. Yeah. So Israel Flower was. Uh, he Israel Flower's fantastic guy. I don't know. They all say Craig Bellamy. Well, Craig Bellamy's an outstanding guy. I guess the culture, the, you know, it all emanates from the top, doesn't it? They set the yeah. agenda. The one thing in my travels, and I spent a lot of time in my travels, you speak a lot of rugby league because I still know a lot of rugby league players and people in rugby league. But the one constant that's always said about Melbourne is that the amazing culture, the amazing brand that Melbourne has become, the way they've embraced the community the way how articulate their players are, how they're presented, and their overall behaviour. Now that's, uh, you know, when you go to Sydney, if you're an administrator in Sydney, you would, I reckon, cringe from day to day waiting for a transgression which inevitably evolves. 
Yeah. Well, be, and, and that's where I'm yeah, I, and I, you know, I think that uh, Sam, that's spot on. That, and it comes from from the top, and the administration there have done a great job. And oh. Frank Panisi, the football manager, yeah. and Craig, they work really closely. Um, and just as, as an example, generally speaking, if someone comes into Melbourne, the last person they speak to is Craig Bellamy. And if Craig gets a bad feel about someone and thinks that that's not going to be part of our culture. They just don't get a start. And then uh, I'm sure the Fox won't mind me saying this, that uh, when he first came to the club, as Craig said, he was a reserve grader at West, yeah. came down here, and I was on a, a, we're travelling away with uh, an early uh, trial game in, in uh, Tasmania. So everyone got off the, the bus. The Fox is there. He's jumping into uh, running ahead of everyone else to get up there, try and get the scam the best room uh, there. And all of a sudden... Uh, Smithy grabs you say, where do you think you're going? Get back here and start carrying some bags. You're going to earn your right here. Don't just piss off and uh, think that yes, you've arrived right. and you're going to make it. So, uh, and really brought him back. And the first thing they did with him, because he didn't mind, he's a real character of our game, and he's a good character of our game, but he just didn't handle that well in the, in, in the early part. And all these tries he scored, Frank sat him down and said, I want to go through your highlights package and have a look at this and tell me what you think. And he showed 20 tries or something playing reserve grade. And he said, yeah, I did all right, didn't I? I was good. He said, no, no, we don't play like this here. When you score a try, you respect the opposition. You don't have a crack at them and say you missed a tackle or whatever. That's not – we're very respectful for what this game's all about. Doesn't work here. If you start that stuff, you won't be playing first grade here. This is the Fox, and I'm just the name. Who is the Fox? The Fox is uh, Josh Adokar. So uh, he was a, a real no-name coming down here and uh, he's, uh, he's become fairly iconic. And he had an opportunity to go back and uh, play, but he's going to stay here for another year. So that's really good news for the club. Do you know that business of, uh, as obviously Josh was when he first came down, and th- that's a cultural thing that slips into so many games now. And I hate it in yeah. soccer where some bloke bursts his guts out, uh, dodges about five guys, runs 50 metres, dodges and weaves, chips it over and some bloke goes, going, and that's all he's done, nods his head and gets the goal, and he runs around with his bloody jumper <laughs> over his head. Right. That's right. Yeah. And they run to the corner. Oh, the corner and, and punch his shit yeah, out of the yeah. corner. And they slide Very on their brave. knees. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you look at the greatness of some of those players, Cameron Smith, uh, Billy Slater, um, Cooper Cronk, you know, Greg Inglis, they yeah. never did any of that oh, sort Peter of stuff. Oh, Peter Sterling, just going so back Peter's to those just, days. They are always respectful. Yeah, respectful. Yeah. It happens in my game, water polo now. Yeah. Well, look, these those days, you'd get a goal, the first thing you do, you'd recognise who set that up, and yeah, yeah. You know, there was there was eye, eye contact. These days, the, the galoot that gets the goal, it's just tapping or somebody thing, yeah. and they think they're King Kong. Drives drives me It does, ratty. Yeah. Anyway, uh, John, just the the, uh, the success of the storm. What were your aspirations when you know with Murdoch and yeah, you know, I think you were CEO when it first started. Yeah. Um, you had an ownership in it, the whole thing. Your aspirations at that time. Well, Leon, we always knew we'd we'd be successful, and and the uh, I suppose I still think today. And I look at a lot of sports and that they. The importance of your your uh, recruitment and getting the right people with the right attitudes and the right playing ability. 
Um, we were fortunate when all the codes came back. We had the like the AFL has the uh, internal and external drafts. draft. Yeah. So we had a draft, and we picked out of a draft, and uh, the players were able to get. I was surprised that we got like even the brick uh, with eyes. You the got brick the front with row. eyes. Yeah. Um, um, there were some great players that you know we got the really good front rowers, the halfback. So. Um, the, uh, the the calibre of players, we knew we, we were going to be better than what people thought. And back in those days, um, you're allowed to bet on football. We backed ourselves to, uh, to win the... Uh, the uh, you won the, the flag the first year. Second year. Second, so second year. year. We got missed out. And missed oh, yeah. Out. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, we always knew there was going to be a, a good football team. I remember Chris Anderson at the time, he said to us, hey, this is the real deal, this side. Mm. So... Uh, um, and I remember uh, from the uh, the AFL, uh, Lee Matthews, after we won the premiership the second year, he said, you know what, you might think I'm crazy saying this, but he said, you might regret that because it's going to be hard to do that again because all the other clubs will turn on you because you've been so successful yeah, yeah, so yeah. early. And he was right in the way. There was, there was a change but in the attitude of people. That. You fed off that. We did, yeah. 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 It, was, it was a game being like Queensland, but we were in Victoria. So, yeah. uh, And when we came down here, there was only 400 total registered juniors and seniors playing, playing rugby league in Victoria. So now I think they have four oh. or 5,000. How advantageous uh, was it autonomy? Do you think autonomy is a big advantage initially setting up? Being yep. removed from mainstream, yeah, uh, without without a doubt, and that, that's what I think. Even Cameron Smith has enjoyed that. While the media in Sydney have a good go at him, yeah, uh, but I think being come back being to, away to from Mal, the mainstream, being away yeah. from go to the coffee shop and just build nice relationships. With I think people. the club. I think the players at, at large, you know, I would imagine would enjoy that little bit of uh, anonymity. Yeah, yeah, under the microscope in Sydney, it's uh, as you say, they're just waiting for something yeah. to happen where we can get on with business down here. Could I get uh, up close and personal, John? The uh, the name John Rebo de Berziak, <laughs> which is about as close as I'll get. Japanese. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you still have an association? Uh, it goes it, back Leon, it goes back the history of the uh, and the name is uh, Rebo de Bresac, and its or, oh. its origin is 1504. There's a castle built in the Loire Valley, uh, about 300 k's outside of uh, Paris. And uh, we came from there. But in the early days, they settled. When you uh, when you say we came from there, you weren't with them. No, no, I wasn't. In 1504. <laughs> no, I know, no. I, I know, I look like I was, but uh, the no, family tree goes back to Napoleon, you know. Mm. <laughs> 1504, he meets, meets Napoleon. Yeah, yeah. Well, it goes back a bit. Yeah, it goes back. Yeah, but but I, from there, we uh, my my ancestors also settled in New Caledonia. The uh, convicts. Uh, in Australia, came from uh, from the UK. The convicts in uh, in France went to New Caledonia. Build so, the pine. Yeah, we might. And I sometimes look at my uh, my heritage. Maybe uh, we might have hopped on the boat as a convict. We came out as a captain or something. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah I think you, I think you got out of the right side. The plank. <laughs> Don't worry about that. And is there any meaning to the name Rebo? Yeah, how, how that is the ancestry of it all and how it works back in the days of they would you would you would you would announce yourself and where you came from. So they say who who walks there and you'd say I'm John Rebo of the Debrecen estate. So that was Rebo uh. Debrecen announce where you're from, what region. And I on my mother's side, she's a Buck and Hepburn, 
and Buchan Hepburn's a Scottish name, so she was a Buchan from the Hepburn estate. So, uh, and that goes back to Robert the Bruce. So uh, we go right back there. So uh, there's a bit of a bit of a bit of. Uh, you can see where the money comes into it. Scottish. Sam Kankovich from St Kilda Road. Scottish. Scottish they yeah, they're very frugal for their money. Uh, look, <laughs> someone said to me, how do you tell the difference between a Scot and a canoe? Uh, yeah. The canoe tips occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, uh, interesting story. I know you, you love both your lifestyles. The one down here, because you live here sometimes. Yeah. And, of course, you've got Queensland going where you have business interests. Um, uh, where will you finish up settling when you, uh, Johnny Rebo, do whatever it is, um, settles down eventually? Where will it be? Well, I, yeah, I, I uh, and I'm just saying because I'm here today. When in coming to Melbourne, Melbourne's one of these places that grew on me, and I must admit, I was a little bit apprehensive. I wanted the challenge of starting up a football team and getting involved and, and creating something with a lot of other people. Uh, that was amazing experience, but to get into the grassroots of what this city and the fabric of what this city is all about, I genuinely love it. I love that European feel about it. The parts, the the parks, the arts, the restaurants, sports from a lifestyle and sports. Mm. It's a, it's a capital of the world. Like the people are. I've travelled all around Just the world. The I've been fortunate. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but it's it's a great place to be. So look, I'll never. We, we've we've got some we've got a house down here or a unit down here and uh, I couldn't see that we won't sell that we'll always spend time seven room penthouse it is yeah. <laughs> you're putting in though you're, you're a member of a number of uh, government uh, committees and organisations yeah. that are for the common good yeah well I yeah, and that was a real highlight for me when I left uh, Melbourne Steve Brax rang me and said uh, would I be interested in going on to it was then called the major events board. Uh, and Sir Rod Eddington was the chair and yeah. uh, we had a fantastic Eddie was on there a, a, a great group of people that had similar minds and uh, I think some of the events we brought to uh, brought to Melbourne over a long period whether it's golf uh, the, the Commonwealth Games so many good uh, concerts and shows and it, that was a real a real enjoyable thing to do I now uh, have some time on the MOPT which is the Melbourne Olympic Park Trust which has been an interesting year with now the uh, the Australian Open coming up, so uh, hopefully that's settling down now with how that's going to unfold and the time of all that seems to be it, it'll happen in February. Um, so they're all really interesting and exciting things to do. And that, that precinct when you go to the MCG no, and you see Amy... Global. Rod Laver. I haven't seen, uh, Sam, I haven't seen anything like mm. that anywhere in the world. That, uh, and we're, it's very special. Just one last question from me, if I may be so bold. You mentioned the advent of women in sport. Now, I guess you understand the topography of the landscape of the contemporary world. It won't be long before they seek parity. Now, how sustainable will that be from club level? Yeah. We see if everyone's, the finances are stretched to the limit as they are now. Yeah. Most are insolvent, most clubs genuinely, even though they can put out a bodgy set of figures. But... Women will be seeking parity, like men. You look at uh, two probably prime examples is what we spoke about before is tennis, where you've got tennis and there's parity there, that they, they get the same prize yeah. money and one plays five sets, one plays three sets, so you'd argue the other way. And then you've got golf, where they, uh, they uh, men and women, uh, but in the golf, I think the variation is there, which I'm a great believer in, 
sport is has its value on the sets of eyes and the consumer that wants to watch it. People watch it and they want to invest in it. That's where you should evaluate who gets paid what, because if they don't if they don't get the ratings, they won't be sustainable. So you can't have an imbalance there. So hopefully, common sense will prevail and, and women uh, capture the same audiences, well, they deserve to get paid. And I, I have no problem with that at all. And I like watching ladies, well, no, no, ladies no. golf. Perhaps but my inquiry uh, yeah. was not because I wanted to write a division. If they're the best, give, give them the money. Give them the money, yeah. by all means. Yeah. But I'm more and more about meritocracy. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't, I hate the fact that you know, people get up on their high horses and demand yeah. parity when the products are B-grade standard. Yeah. Because the AFL... Is at the elite level. Yeah. There's all this notion going around that all of a sudden we deserve a slice of the cake. Well, yeah. you probably do, but show course first, yeah. and then we'll come to the party. Yeah. When uh, when I was on major events, there was controversy about the USC and Rousey. The ladies yeah. came out that occasion. That that event sold out within two hours. Yeah. Uh, and they got paid accordingly. Well, Fantastic. you I'm with you, Sam. I'm all for that. But don't get the horse in front. Of, no. Don't get the cart in front of the horse. So, and I, you know, whatever yeah. the market can afford, if you generate it, pay it. Yeah, great. Good on you, Sam. You got us into hot water just at the very end. <laughs> <laughs> no, but see, no one has that that sense of discourse, no. and it always remains out there as a contentious issue. Yeah. But the stark reality is, if you base it purely on performance and its worth and its merit, yeah. You dispel any of those uh, those nasty little crevices yeah. that evolve because of people's lack of clout, yeah. and they all of a sudden draw divisions because of gender. Yeah, it's rubbish. Yeah, get off yeah, your I high agree. horse. Oh, hi, Philly. Whatever you're on. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. I'm having uh, a drink, Mitchelton. It's a great pleasure to have had John Rebo with us today. And, John, thank you very much for your time and for your contribution to Victorian sport and Australian sport, for that matter. And uh, you're a good man, and we look forward to seeing you for many, many years down here in Victoria. Thanks, Leon. Great to be on the program. And stop here. taking Thanks, your Sam. wine cellar away from Ilduka. <laughs> John Rebo on golf and sport and life. Oh, not again, Leon. Get golf out of that, Leon. <laughs> Thank you.